Good afternoon. Thanks so much for being with us. Let's get right into the financial numbers. The fiscal update is continuing this half hour, but we have the basics of it. And as you heard in the news, we know that the pain caused by COVID-19 has BC now looking at a deficit of $12.5 billion. And looking at jobs as well, the losses in this province in the hundreds of thousands, and uh, taking a look at some of the taxes that have gone down as well, the province received $1.3 billion less than expected in provincial sales tax because of the drop in spending because of the pandemic. Here's just a little bit of what Carol James had to say just moments ago. Physical distancing and global travel restrictions are expected to be in place for some time. Because of that, we expect the job losses that have occurred in British Columbia are not expected to be fully recovered this year. So the scenarios built with employment in the province declining by 9.8% in 2020, which corresponds to an annual loss of 252,000 jobs. And as businesses resume operations and employees are rehired, employment in British Columbia could increase by 4.4% in 2021, representing an annual gain of 102,000 jobs. That is Finance Minister Carol James. Let's bring in Andre Pavlov, Professor of Finance at the Beatty School of Business. Thank you so much, Andre, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. What is your response hearing some of the numbers in this update offered up today? Well, I think we all expected um, those numbers to be um, bad. Uh, I think there is no, no question the economy has suffered um, I think they're um, a bit worse than what most economic uh, forecasters expected. Um, and they're staggering. I mean, uh, the unemployment rate in May, um, I think there was a quote that it's uh, about 13%, which is much, much worse than um, than the financial crisis of 2008. In 2008, the highest unemployment we saw in BC, I think, was about uh, between 7 and 8%. Uh, so this is quite a bit worse, and uh, the drop in GDP, the expected drop in GDP, is also quite a bit worse than what we saw in 2008. So no question, this is a deeper crisis that is affecting us all uh, very substantially. And when we look at where we are as far as Phase 3 in the province reopening, with the numbers that were announced today, the losses, there was also that forecast to 2021. Uh, for example, something like corporate profits declining by 36.4% this year, recovering by 16.3% in 2021. Does that offer a bit of a glimmer of hope? Well, obviously there will be some recovery because we can't stay, uh, you know, in, in hibernation forever and people are already coming out and then trying to resume economic activity. Uh, what worries me is that, in my view, we're in, in pretty poor shape before uh, the virus ever emerged um, because um, government spending has increased a lot. We have a very, very cumbersome regulation system. Our taxes are very high. And because because of that, it was already pretty difficult for private business to to operate in BC, um, and um, that will, um, um, unless we revise all that, unless we reform all that, I think um, it will be difficult for private business to to recover, even after the pandemic is more or less over.
Uh, interesting you mentioned that because I know that's been one of the criticisms as well of the federal government in that the spending even before the pandemic when nobody even anticipated there would be a pandemic the spending was way more than we've seen in the past few decades and that that's what led the federal government to being in a more vulnerable position during the pandemic so are you suggesting or saying that that's also what we're seeing on some level here provincially? Yes, absolutely. So I think uh, we introduced the the current government introduced a number of taxes uh, when they came into power, and I have criticized many of those taxes uh, on a number of occasions, uh, as uh, have many other people. The issue with those taxes um, is that they dampen economic activity, uh, and then the results of those um, uh, taxes, you know, businesses aren't going to shut down right away. But uh, they they will try to scale back operations and move elsewhere where they can find more reasonable uh, operating environment. And now uh, COVID comes on top of that. You have multiple effects going in the same direction. And businesses were already thinking of leaving or, or scaling back operations because of regulation and taxes in BC. They will just accelerate their decision to do so. And the recovery is not going to come quite the way we hope it will. Uh, do you think businesses, or in some scenarios, businesses will use this as uh, that final jumping point, that if you weren't doing well before the pandemic, you were considering well, what your future was going to look like, the pandemic gives you an out? Well, it's not that businesses need necessarily a justification, but yes, the, the pandemic will, uh, will, will act as a catalyst for for um, anyone who was thinking of uh, scaling back operations, shutting down, moving somewhere else. Um, and I suspect a lot of people were thinking along those lines um, even before the pandemic. And now uh, it's not that it's an excuse. It's, it's the um, extra factor that pushes you to accelerate that decision. What do you think then government needs to do at this point in that in this fiscal update, there was a lot of talk of the measures that have been taken so far to help support people that have lost their jobs or seen their work hours reduced. What needs to be done then, do you think, to get people to get the province on that road to recovery? So in in a crisis like this, clearly people need support and and, and that support needs to be there and needs to be substantial. Um, No question there. But uh, we, as far as I can tell, we have had absolutely not a single policy that will provide for our longer-term recovery. I have not seen our tax code simplified, both federal and provincial. I have not seen any um, income tax or any other tax reduced. Uh, I have not seen any of the recent taxes that the current government introduced scaled back or rolled back or cancelled. And all of those are things that need to happen if we uh, if we hope to to generate the economic recovery that uh, that we need so badly. All right, uh, Andre Pavlov, we'll leave it there for today. But thank you so much for being available. Of course, thank you. Well, the. Fiscal update has been announced. As we know, $12.5 billion, that is the deficit looking at BC because of the increased spending because of COVID-19, as well as a huge drop in government revenues. Uh, The Finance Minister, Carol James, talked a little bit about housing as well, uh, offering a more bleak picture, I would say, than what's being shown today by the BC Real Estate Association. Some new numbers out, taking a look at activity from last month compared to June of 2019. And joining me to 
to talk a little bit more about those numbers is Brendan Ogmundson, Chief Economist at the BC Real Estate Association. Brendan, thanks so much for taking some time with us. Thank you. Good to be here. What do things look like as far as sales? And we'll get into prices as well, taking a look at what what the activity was like last month. Yeah, so we, we saw a pretty somewhat, somewhat of a surprising uh, strong rebound in home sales in June, where if we look around the province, uh, sales basically regained levels that uh, that we saw pre-pandemic. So, you know, before kind of, you know, about at the February level of sales, kind of a historically average level of sales, but still, given we thought we'd have a much slower recovery this year, um, it's, it's encouraging that we're seeing uh, such a such a surge in activity in June. And what do you put that to? Because you're right, everybody was talking about the doom and gloom and just how big of a hit real estate would likely take. Yeah, you know, we're, we're in a global pandemic with 13% unemployment, so no surprise that we'd hear a lot of doom and gloom. It it's kind of fit, fits the uh, the environment. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of it is, is pent-up demand and kind of uh, the fact that I think most people feel we're out of the sort of crisis phase of this and, and sort of the a lot of the initial uncertainty is, is gone. So that combined with uh, historically low interest rates, uh, if we look at, say, a buyer that maybe was sidelined the pandemic but had planned to be in the market in March or April, now can buy at a mortgage rate of 2.3% for five years. It's a real incentive to, to get in. I think a lot of that pent-up demand uh, is being is being pushed into the market by those historically low interest rates. And when we look at prices as well, where do prices sit as far as increases or decreases? So in, in BC as a whole, we saw prices rise 9% year over year. In Vancouver, it was about 7%. Some of that is an, that increase year over year is a bit of an artifact of, of last year. Uh, the market was, wasn't strong. Uh, so we are comparing to a weaker uh, part of the market from, from 2019. Uh, but still, we are seeing some really uh, strong price gains uh, in a lot of markets. Some of that is also has to do with the fact that while sales have rebounded uh, uh, pretty strongly, uh, the level of inventory in the market is very low. So usually we'd have about 20% higher uh, kind of resale listings uh, at, the, at this time of year. Right, because would springtime generally be the busiest time? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we've seen uh, that's really different about this recession, this sort of COVID-19 driven recession, usually when you get a recession and you get a, a spike in unemployment like we've seen, that tends to motivate a lot of sellers who've lost their jobs or, or have experienced a reduction in income uh, to, to list their homes. This time around, we've actually seen a, a decline in listings. So inventory of, of homes for sale has actually fallen. Some of that is social distancing, you know, people that maybe were going to sell uh, uh, put that off because they weren't comfortable with, with showing their home. Uh, but we're, we're seeing very different kind of dynamics this time around where we're seeing supply drop where normally it would be rising uh, given the economic uh, climate. And we're seeing sales actually come back to normal. So uh, nothing about right now is normal. And, and, uh, and we're seeing some kind of unusual recession in housing market dynamics as well. And looking at a graphic that your association put out as well, if I'm correct in saying this, looking at around the province, and this is a snapshot of June 2020 with the residential sales dollar volume, uh, it looks like the only region that saw a slight decline, which uh, which was 0.8%, was the northern BC. Yeah, and so the, the north tends to be a little different than the rest of the province most of the time. The, the cycle there is uh, not, not that correlated with the rest of the province. 
just from from kind of factors like uh, like you know commodity cycles and how the forestry sector is doing and, and sort of things particular to the north. Uh, also, again, this time last year, the north wasn't quite as weak as some other markets. So some of that year over year comparison. Uh, is a little bit kind of skewed by some markets were, were just started to recover around this time last year, whereas the North uh, was uh, was not as affected by things like the B20 mortgage stress test or the speculation vacancy tax. Hmm. Uh, so what do you see that happening moving forward? You mentioned the interest rates uh, at a very low rate, which, uh, like you said, is very appealing to people. Do you, do you anticipate that more confidence will come back as well or some of the changes made because of distancing and because of COVID-19 will, will become more permanent? Yeah, so we're, we're still in a, a really uncertain economic climate, clearly, and the, the economy is very weak. Um, but we are still seeing, even in July, kind of early data we're, we're tracking for July, is showing that sales have been pretty firm. So I think what that, what that tells us is that the, the interest rate channel, uh, how much it boosts home sales and prices is really strong, and we're at record low uh, interest rates. Uh, the other thing is that a, a lot of the initial impact, at least, of this recession really fell on on uh, on the rental market because it tended to hit uh, the type of employment that, that supports the rental market. So a lot of frontline service sector, restaurant, hotel jobs that aren't necessarily supporting the ownership market in a lot of a lot of these regions. So a lot of people, you know, they're, the way they work has changed a lot, but they're the, the, they're still working, they're still earning the same income, they're still uh, getting back into the housing market. So looking forward, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, there's still a lot of uncertainty ahead, especially in the fall. Oh, maybe we might see uh, sales retrace a little bit. But o- overall, we're, we're cautiously optimistic that uh, the market is, is recovering and, and will be into kind of will sustain this recovery into next year. Hmm, interesting. And I would imagine, too, looking at the fall uh, with people talking about the potential for a second wave or something else happening with the pandemic, that could create a whole new set of circumstances as well. Yeah, not only something like a second wave, which is, is kind of unpredictable, but also things that are more predictable like, a potential end to government supports uh, for you know, income supports and, and wage subsidies, uh, the potential end of mortgage deferrals. So just a lot of uncertainty. So, you know, uh, good to be where we're at. I'd still say there's a lot of uncertainty in the future, uh, but we're, we're cautiously optimistic. All right. Uh, we will leave it there for today. Brendan Ogmanson, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. As you likely heard in the news tonight, the Vancouver Park Board meeting that looks at overnight camping in city parks, it is going to continue. Last night, the meeting started. It saw around 90 or heard from around 91 speakers doing it through technology, not meeting in person. People signed up to voice their opinions, their concerns about that proposal to allow temporary shelter in Vancouver parks with some rules as to how close you can be to a playground, to uh, some kind of sports field, sports diamond. Uh, There are a list of of rules as to where you could actually put the tent. Let's bring in Jeremy Hunka. Jeremy is a spokesperson with the Union Gospel Mission and joins me on the line now. Jeremy, thanks so much for being with us. No problem. Good morning, or good afternoon, Jill. <laughs> good afternoon. Uh, what is your take on this? Because I think everybody can agree. I would think even people living right now in Strathcona Park, it's not a permanent solution. But what is your take on this idea of, for the time being, looking at allowing people to camp in parks? Yeah, I mean, this is a this is a tough issue, and it definitely has people's emotions uh, up on any side of, of the debate. One thing I want we need to remind people 
of the context right now, because if you're homeless in Vancouver right now, it's incredibly difficult to find a place to sleep at night. Uh, even at UGM, even though July is typically our uh, least busy time of the year in terms of our homeless shelter, right now it's still full virtually every night, which is very surprising. And, you know, shockingly, we have um, turnaways almost every night on 150 occasions in the last six weeks, we've had to turn people away, the vast majority of those, because we just don't have space. So there isn't space for people right now. Um, so that brings me to your to answer your question directly about, you know, what our take is on on this bylaw. I mean, while, while this bylaw amendment may give some campers some rest or some respite to at least be allowed somewhere, some of the time, we know that ultimately, at the end of the day, a park is not the safest or best or most dignified place for people to live, especially during a pandemic. So, I mean, there's not easy solutions. Um, there's some benefits to this bylaw, and that might, you know, help some people who are really, truly struggling and have nowhere else to go. But it's not, it can't be looked on, looked upon as a solution because it's not even close to to where we need to go. So when you say there are some benefits, what would the benefits be in your mind? Well, the one one key benefit is, and I experience this a lot of times when I'm talking to people who are homeless or who were recently homeless, they feel like they're being chased away and that they are unwanted virtually everywhere they go. Um, they're not technically allowed to be, you know, setting up at, in, a, in a park. Um, they get moved around all the time. Um, they're, sometimes their things are bulldozed. Um, you know, they're always having to spend much of their time in survival mode, just looking for places to stay where somebody's not going to chase them away. And that has this really um, perhaps unintentional consequence of making them feel that they are completely unwanted and driving, you know, people who otherwise might be able to turn their lives around further away from society and making it further like uh, making it less likely that they'll ask for help or be open to help or will trust those who are giving them help, you know, some some authorities. And so they are they further entrench themselves. And then we get larger camps further out where there is, you know, really difficult suffering. So that's one benefit to avoid that that type of thing. Do you think, though, do you think part of the, the issue here is that we're talking about parks and particularly when we're talking about Strathcona and Oppenheimer, you work in that part of the city, you know that there is very limited green space. It's, it's one part of the city that is very under, uh, it doesn't have nearly the green space that other parts of the city. If we were perhaps talking about a different area and again, not suggesting that tenting is the solution, but it seems like some of the issues are people saying parks are for everybody. They shouldn't be taken over by people with tents. Maybe there's a different area where we could try and make this work. Right. And I do think that, I mean, anyone would agree that we don't want people camping in parks and and that these parks are, um, you know, really, you know, kind of coveted and important pieces of our city. And they are meant to be for everybody. So this, it seems like this bylaw, they, uh, it's attempted to uh, kind of strike a balance between, um, you know, giving a spot to uh, to people who don't otherwise have anywhere else to go and trying to, uh, you know, keep some of the spaces open for people to enjoy the park. 
Um, the problem is that, I mean, this, I mean, it's been more than a decade since the, since the court ruled that people can set up parks in places or in parks overnight. Um, so I don't, to be totally honest with you, Joe, I don't really see whether or not this bylaw is approved or not, the amendment, I don't see a whole lot changing. The real focus, the really, the, what this illuminates is that we're in this terrible situation where there's not even close to enough housing and people are 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 forced to make uh decisions between you know three or four really bad choices there aren't a lot of great choices on on the table right now and when you talked about it just to to back up a bit and you talked about the fact that you've been experiencing more turnaways than normal so what do you put that to or do you know why we're seeing this increase in people that need shelter you know what we've been yeah we've been surprised frankly, by the number of people who are coming to us in July. Um, part of the reason is that over the last six weeks, it's been poor weather. So there may be more people who are less less willing or less wanting to stay outside. Also, I mean, we have we did see a giant surge in need when COVID-19, when the pandemic re- really struck. Um, and we saw people coming to us who had never been homeless or had never been, you know, looking for a meal. Uh, they just uh, they had lost their job. They didn't have support or, you know, they all of a sudden all these negative things that were happening to them accelerated. They all hit at once. So we had a big surge in need, not just with our homeless uh, guests, but our single moms. And we just caused this, this incredible surge in need. So that also might has has is is at play here it is a factor and it's really hard because these people are this is life and death like i i say this every time i have a chance because people don't understand all the evidence shows us that people who are homeless um die sooner and die more often than those of us who are housed this really needs to be uh we're we're dealing with the consequences of not of not dealing properly with this for several decades and now it's all all coming to a head and it's and it's really hard to see we need to remember that these are people um not just controversies do you think there is a solution though is there something that can be found soon and that would accommodate everybody in that when you hear the demands that were outlined yesterday and i'm going to play them a bit later on this half hour one of them was uh, brand we want new housing we want it to be each unit single unit 600 square feet with a kitchen and anything less than that is not acceptable Right. So you're asking, sorry, I just want to be. Does that seem reasonable that that you go from being sleeping in a tent, like you said, with no good decisions in front of you? But it it seems if if somebody in government came and said, "Okay, we've got a 450 square foot unit, you might have to share a bathroom down the hall. It's just temporary. We're going to get you into this, though. And this is housing. The, The fact that that's not considered enough, that the demand, the minimum demand is 600 square feet, single occupancy kitchen, fully, fully inclusive. Gotcha. So I have not spoken to people who um, I have not directly spoken to people who are making those demands, even when I am, you know, working with our homeless community around UGM. What I I really want to emphasize here is that I would encourage all the listeners not to take the actions uh, of the most vocal or visible or maybe the most demanding in a group always to fully represent the entire group. Um, I know a lot of a lot of people who would jump at the opportunity to have a place that's 400 square feet if they're sleeping outside. There, there is a balance. You can't, you know, just provide something that's terrible for someone and accept and, and expect that that's okay. 
But, uh, you know, like there's got to be reasonableness on on all sides of it. And I think that, you know, that's part of why this is such a controversial situation is I think some of those more moderated voices don't tend to get heard as much. All right. Uh, Jeremy, we'll leave it there. Always uh, good to chat with you. Thanks so much. Great to talk. Thanks, Jill.